Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. Are you ready for spring yet? Yeah, come on, bring it on. Next weekend, daylight savings time, unofficial. We're ready to go. I am, I am done. I'm, it hasn't even been a real winter, and I'm done with winter. So, the power of one, sort of what we want to talk about today, the power of one. It sounds, I wrote it down and I'm like, man, this sounds like a great motivational poster slogan, the power of one. We love that. We love that stuff. In fact, it was over 20 years ago, the army famously adopted a slogan. You may remember this. They, they had an advertise, a billion-dollar advertising campaign. It was called An Army of One. It did not last long. It was like, people were like, wait a minute. But it was playing on people's desire to be the one. But we're not talking about the one, we're talking about a different one, about being one together. Because it turns out that the Bible has a good idea that is hard to live out. It's the idea of unity. Let me read to you a couple of verses of what it says. Here's what Psalms 133 says. How wonderful and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 13, verse 11 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Man, live in harmony and peace. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Man, over and over and over again, it talks about this one good idea, this one rule, this one sign of unity. Hmm. But really, this is Jesus' idea, and we should turn to what Jesus had to say about it. Here's what he said in John chapter 13. So now, I am giving you a new commandment. You remember this. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Remember that, right? Well, here's what the next verse after it says. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Whoa, that's a, uh, we should camp there for a minute. Your love for one another will prove. A couple chapters later, in chapter 17, it says this, it says, I have given them, this is verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. This is Jesus. 
they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience, watch this, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know. Such perfect unity that the world will know. You see, it turns out that unity is the proof that people are looking for. It's powerful. Unity is the proof that people are looking for. Here's the reason unity is so powerful. Unity is powerful because it's rare and it's hard to fake. Unity. You, you see, there's something about people that are unified out of love for one another in spite of their differences. This is why the conversation is so awkward. In spite of our differences. Not uniformity. Everybody expects unity in uniformity. Like, hey, we're all the same, so of course we get along. But unity in the middle of difference. Whoa. That is rare, and it's powerful. And here's what Jesus is saying, that this kind of unity proves to the world that I am who I said I was, and that this message of Jesus in you is actually true. In other words, unity is the greatest apologetic I grew up in church all my life, and I never knew what the word apologetics meant. I thought it meant like apologizing for Jesus or something. Some of you are like, oh, oh man, explain that. And others of you, I know that uh, I've got a friend here, one of our missionary partners, who's got a degree in apologetics, right? Apologetics is just, it's the defense of the faith, right? It's, it's good stuff. And I got to tell you, I love apologetics. I love kind of understanding, defending, explaining, all that stuff. It's called apologetics. But here's what Jesus said, the greatest apologetic is unity. <laughs> when people who are different love each other anyway, it is the greatest apologetic. When this happens, it will prove, it will prove your message about Jesus is true. And if we're being fair, when it's absent, it might indicate to people that it's not true. That's tough. Like when people look inside the church and they see division and strife, when they see uh, believers who don't love like Jesus loved, it may be all the evidence that they need to say, I don't believe that stuff about Jesus is true. 
Your love, one for another, your bond of unity will prove. And so Jesus is saying, this unity thing is a good idea. It is a sign to everyone. But it's not, it's not that sign. I actually brought another, I brought a new sign. It's the rarest sign. You have never, I promise you, you've never seen this sign. You've never seen it. I know you. I've seen you drive. You've never seen one of these. <laughs> Come on. Am I telling the truth? You could take every one of these down across Cape Cod and it wouldn't change a blessed thing. <laughs> Pull everyone down. I could have stolen this from my street and it wouldn't have mattered. Yield. That's the sign, right? It's the, it's the sign of unity, like... Your love one for another, you're going to surrender and yield to one another. No, I'm not. What does this sign mean? It means go faster. That's what it means. Get there first. He who's first goes first. Right? That's what it means. That's a powerful, power. Because when people, when people do this, Whoa. <laughs> Did you ever get behind somebody who just wanted to yield to everybody? Come on, be honest. You hated it, didn't you? I mean, I didn't feel that way, but I've... <laughs> Did you ever, you ever feel like they were trying to purposely ruin your day? Oh, Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes in front of me. <laughs> Got to stop for everybody. Got to let them all out. You ever do your mind? You're not supposed to let them out. You're, you're, you're impeding the flow of traffic. You're going to cause an accident. I've never actually thought that, but... <laughs> wow. Yielding is so hard. And it's powerful. Right? Because when we yield... You see, yielding, here's what yielding does. It says something about who's behind the wheel. Are you tracking with me? Yielding out of love for another says something about who's actually in Control. Whoa. This is how they will know. I'm going to leave that right there just so you remember what it looks like. <laughs> let, me, let me show you, if I could, two ways that this becomes powerful in your life and in our church. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak here for a minute and uh, to, uh, to those who are believers. So if you're not a believer yet, if you, if you haven't given your life to Christ, then you're, you're a little bit off the hook, I'm not gonna lie. And I'm just gonna give you a little shop talk. So you get a look in and you can decide, hey, do I want in on that? 
or do I not want to? Because I'm going to tell you, this is so hard. It doesn't come natural. We got to talk about it. But I want to show you where it's powerful. And here's where it's first powerful. It's powerful when we, this group of people, a congregation, a church, live as one people. Let me read to you what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm, I'm going to read six verses. Just, just lean in and listen to what these say. It's, Paul says, therefore, he says, I, a prisoner, for he's, he's in jail, literally, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. We, we just read that verse a week ago. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now watch what it says next. For there is... He's going he's to give seven ones. Watch it. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. You get the picture of what he wants? He said, live as one. This is the power of one. This idea of unity it was so powerful this idea that because of jesus when we came together that we would function as one body that what we had in common in jesus was more important than what we had in conflict it's not assuming that everybody was the same. In fact, it's assuming that they were in this congregation. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, but he could be writing to us. He was assuming that within this congregation, within this body of believers, people were incredibly diverse, and yet they, they lived as one. And it was so unexpected that the world would look and say, what is happening? Because those people aren't supposed to get along. But they're one. In fact, let, let, let me show you an illustration. In, a, in another letter Paul wrote to the Galatians, he, he, he elaborated on this. And I'm going to show you why, how, how powerful this simple truth of one was. In Galatians chapter 3 in verse 28, here's what Paul says. He said, because of Christ, watch this, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul picks up the, 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 the greatest examples of power differential in the world. The greatest divides, Jew and Gentile, the giant divide. They didn't even talk with one another. Male and female, women had no rights, no authority, no power. 
slave and free. And he says, because of Jesus, you are one. Now, watch this. We, we think, we, we read that, and we're like, huh. you know, slave and free. Like, man, we've, like, yeah, that's like, like, like of course. And we, we, we agree today that men and women are, are equal. We, we agree with that. And, and the Jew and Gentile thing doesn't make a lot of sense to us. And, and this is because Jesus so changed the world through the church that it literally started from this little body of believers and spread out to the world until the world was changed. But every generation comes up with new things to disagree about. Every generation comes up with their own list of three where we divide. And what Jesus is saying is your ability to love one another, to yield to one another, will be the proof the world needs to know that I am you have said I was. You know the one place where I see people actually yielding? This is the one place where you and I do a pretty good job of it. And there's no sign. I see it all the time. A funeral procession. Turns out people are really good at that. I, I, I drive, and as you might imagine, a fair amount of funeral processions, more than most people. And people instantly, like they see, a, they see the hearse and they see the lights on and they just like, whoa, slow, slow down, brake, stop in the middle of an intersection, pause at a green light, whoa, whoa. Because there's something, well, for most of us, we recognize that there's something sacred about this moment and we have a respect for that person's story. And so we, we, we yield to it, right? And you, you, sl you slow down, even though it's like, wow, this is like I had somewhere to be. I had something to do. I had the right of way, but <laughs> I, I, I actually, that doesn't matter. Because your story right now matters more. That's the, that's the picture of what's happening here is, is with, within, within the body of believers, I see God's work in your story. And even though it might inconvenience me, even though it, it might be my right of way, I... I see God at work in your story. And because of my love for Christ and my love for you, I, I yield. Sometimes, even when I don't have to. And when that happens, people, whoa, where? Did that come from? Because it says something about who's really 
in control. Let me give you one other. Um, it's not just one people, but I wanted to take just a minute to talk about the idea of one church. Isn't it it's amazing that churches are known for competition and division? This is a this is a complicated, dangerous topic. But I'm gonna wade in anyway. We're known for competition and division. And yet, Jesus said the proof that my message is true is unity. Your love one for another. There's this great passage, and it's, I just, I decided I wanted to read to you because it's such an interesting passage. It's, Paul is writing, he's in prison, so you need to understand the context. And Paul has been throughout much of the known world. He's been planting churches. He's like the, the missionary church planner for around the world. And, and now he's in prison. And, and, and like the, 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 the message of Christ is like popping up everywhere and blossoming everywhere. And right, things are just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like wildfire catching on. But it's not all good. Like, like, we tend to look back and go, oh, it must have been glorious then. But if you read the New Testament, like, there, churches were a mess, and they were competing, and there were divisions, and, and man, there was, there was stuff going on. And this is a moment where Paul, Paul is literally going to speak to it. And I want you to listen to what he said. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 15, he's going to actually talk about conflict. He's going to talk about it between himself and churches, right? And he says, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they, have, they know that I've been appointed to defend the good news. Then he gets kind of pointed. He says, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, uh, not sincerely intending to make my change. Remember, he's in prison, more painful for me. Oh, Paul. But then, like, it's like whiplash. In the next verse, here's what he says. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I'll continue to rejoice. I've always marveled at that verse. I'm like, who is Paul? How does he do this? He's like, I'm in prison, and they're taking advantage of the opportunity to one-up me as the apostle. They're, they're going after me. They're preaching out of competition and strife and division. And then he says, but you know what? They are preaching Christ. I'm glad they're preaching Christ. Oh, Paul is such a better man than I am. Like, whoa, this guy. They're preaching Christ. 
I'm just rejoicing that the message of Jesus is being preached. He wasn't condoning what they were doing. In fact, he calls it out quite clearly. But he also says the thing that matters most is not what we have in conflict. It's what we have in common. It's Jesus Christ. And if they're faithfully preaching the message of Jesus Christ... I'm celebrating. He's not, listen, he's not celebrating conflict and he's not celebrating competition. He's calling it out. He's celebrating Jesus. He's celebrating the preaching, the faithful declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, this guy. What an incredible example when churches, when believers, when leaders, lead together in unity, where what we have in common in Christ matters more than what we have in conflict. The quote attributed to Augustine is famous about this, right? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. We don't actually know if it was Augustine that said it, but it's a powerful declaration of the passages we've read. In essentials, the message of Jesus Christ, unity. Listen, we're not sacrificing doctrine. We're not sacrificing the message, the central message of Jesus Christ. In essentials, unity. But in non-essentials, liberty. That means we're going to be different. We're going to be different. In all things, with everyone everywhere, charity. So seven years ago, we decided we were going to live this out as a church through the Thrive Conference. We were, we were going to begin working together with churches across the region to express this very thing, right? This idea Wherever there were gospel-centered churches focused on the faithful preaching of Christ. We use, a, we, we use something, there's a, a story in Bebbington who created what's called the Bebbington's Quadrilateral to describe what this looks like. It's, it's churches who are centered around the cross of Jesus Christ, who believe that people have to come to a, a conversion where they have to embrace Christ for themselves. They're not born into it. Third, they take the Bible seriously. And fourth, they're activists. They believe that what Jesus has done in their life means that they should make a difference in their world. Those four things. And we said, man, wherever there are churches that agree around those things, the authority of Scripture, the premise of Christ, man, we want to partner together. And next weekend, we're doing that as a church. Let me tell you what you're going to (laughs) see. It's wild. There will be over 40 churches and ministries represented here on Friday night for the night of worship. Just from Cape Cod, just just Cape Cod. Little tiny Cape Cod. How does this happen on Cape Cod? But man, it's a diverse group, right? There's Brazilian churches, there's Jamaican churches, there's Pentecostal churches. You can tell who the Pentecostal churches are. One of my Pentecostal friends led worship a few years ago. There, I said, man, that was 15 minutes of pure brilliance and five minutes of I don't know what actually happened there, but... (laughs) 
I love you, brother. I love you, man. I'm like, I mean, I'm not that, right? There's, there's Calvinists, there's Reformed churches, there's big churches, there's little churches, there's traditional churches, there's extra traditional churches. There's contemporary churches, there's extra contemporary churches, and yet there's a night of worship. And here's what you're gonna see at the end of the night. We finish that whole night in a moment where we celebrate communion around the Lord's table. It's not our table, it's his table. And you'll see a line of pastors from across the cave. See, this, this began seven years ago, nine years ago. We moved into this building and God just blessed and sent so many people. And we were, I mean, we were, we're sort of like reveling in what God had done. And honestly, I'm still reveling in what God has done. And one of the things we had said was, we had said, we believe God. Some of you that go all the way back to the old days on Route 28, you'll remember this. We said, we believe God has given us an opportunity to change the spiritual temperature of Cape Cod for the next 50 years. And probably a year into being here, it began to occur to us. We couldn't do that alone. We couldn't do it alone, and here's what I've come to believe. Because Jesus doesn't want us to. And he won't let us. Let me just say that again. He doesn't want us to. And he won't let us. When you are one, then they will know. What a beautiful expression of it. When in spite of the things we have in conflict, we come together around our commitment to Jesus Christ and his gospel that saves man. What an incredible opportunity. Because when we do that, then they will know. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Here's, here's what I want to do together. I want to I pray together for, for next weekend. Not just for a conference and the details and stuff that goes along with that, but we want to pray together right now as a church that Jesus Christ would be at the center of this. That it wouldn't be about us. It wouldn't be about a leader or a group of leaders. It wouldn't be about this church or that church. Or It would be about Jesus Christ. That the world might know, not that the world might know Cape Cod Church, Not that the world might know this pastor or that singer or that leader, that the world might know Jesus. That's what it's all about. 
Father, this was your idea and it's good. That when we yield to one another, when we work together in unity around the message of Jesus Christ, the world will know. When a room can be full of people who are as different as can possibly be, but yield to each other out of love. It says something about you. So Father, we pray for next weekend. We pray for a gathering and we pray for a movement. We won't pretend to be in control of what happens. And Father, we'll plan and we'll prepare and We'll set the stage and we pray for our speakers and our leaders. But Father, we, we most of all pray that you would show up, Father, and that in our midst you would do something, that your spirit would move us, Father, and you would unleash just an unusual, an unusual unity among the body of Christ here in this region. That the world might know You. They might know you because of how we love one another. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who makes it all possible. Amen.